Hi, thanks for listening. This is a conversation I recorded with Seth Kinsey, a dear friend of mine, a Dharma brother. We met many years ago practicing at the Zen Center of Portland. Uh, We practiced there together for a number of years until Seth moved to Joseph, a small town in eastern Oregon. Around the time he moved to Joseph, the Zen Center we both practiced at kind of fell apart primarily due to the sexual and ethical misconduct of the teacher. And in this conversation, we talk about how we were both impacted by the falling apart of the community in our own ways, um, as many other people were impacted in many different ways. Um, It's a real tragedy when spiritual communities collapse, because it can really uh, shake the foundation of community members' spiritual lives. So we just wanted to talk a bit about what it was like for us, acknowledging that so many people had different experiences within our own community. So yeah, here's our conversation. Do enjoy. I hope you're well. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Yeah, dude, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. This is your second like uh, professional interview in a couple of days, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm on a roll, so I hope I hope I'm well, well rehearsed. Yeah, I hope you're prepared for this one because I don't really know what we're gonna talk about. <laughs> I, I, I did no notes, which is my way of taking notes. Did you do no notes for the the actual interview that you did the other day on Think Out Loud? I had a I had a actually I have it right here. Uh, yeah, here's my notes. Mm. I have the name of one, a couple people who won a Nobel Peace Prize in Africa. You didn't even use those notes, so. I know. And I have the word friendship written down. And then I, that, that made its way in there. Yeah. Yeah. How does it feel to be like a minor celebrity for a couple of days? It feels good. <laughs> <laughs> like you've always been waiting for it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. U- ultimately, I'm sort of a performer, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you moved your piano. Yeah, I moved the piano. And do you like my uh, my Dream Liars Taylor Moore collection? Oh wait, dude, that's all Taylor's paintings there. All Taylor. You even got some Jesus kicking it. Yeah, Jesus is for mom and dad for Christmas, but for now it's for me. And so, oh, do, do, does Seth need a Jesus too? We're really trying to push the Jesus on everyone. <laughs> I like Jesus. I like Jesus. Yeah, he's helped me with my shoulder a little bit. He told me to do Qigong more. Really. Um, how, how does Jesus communicate to you? I just asked him. I was sick of, I was like, Jesus, we've never really had a relationship, but I, I have no idea how to help my shoulder. And uh, the next morning and every day after that for the last two weeks, I've started doing Qigong. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a little struck. Cause like you, you grew up in the church, your mom's a, what is she a pastor or a minister? What do they call it in the church of the brethren or whatever you yeah, are? Yeah, She's a pastor in the Anabaptist tradition. So yeah, I grew up going to church every Sunday and my dad's mom was the first ordained pastor of Ohio in the church. So it's in our blood, but there's no Jesus in your blood. Yeah. Jesus. And I never really, it just didn't click. Until so, I, what what denomination are you actually were you raised in Christian? The Church of the Brethren. What's that shit all about? Because whenever you talk about, it, I'm like, what was that awesome church I didn't get to go to? <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately, we went to the California branch. They're all pacifists. It's a historic peace church along with the Mennonites and the Quakers. 
Dude, that's a that's like a pretty good group to be a part of Mennonites and the Quakers. I, I feel most blessed. I see uh, religion as you know, a goodwill and and brotherhood and sisterhood, and not a tool for getting other people to join. For the most part, so I have that angle that's helped me out for seeing the good side of faith. Um, they're also all about simple living. Um, they they evolve sort of from the Dunkards and. Um, old order brethren who are very similar to the Amish. So they got that thing going on. Um, and um, they don't have a creed, basically. Wait, how do you not have a creed and be a religion? That seems sort of like counter. Uh, yeah, no creed, really. I mean, they follow the, the New Testament, but it's not a creed. It's just sort of like a living vessel. Um, but so that's the, that's the cool part of it. Yeah. Yeah. However, it's still a huge institution. And in the South, they don't have anything to do with homosexuality. So you have these people who are pastors. Oh, I bet some of them have a little bit to do with homosexuality. <laughs> yeah, more than a little. That's come to the forefront. Uh, you have these people who are pacifists, sorry, and, but they don't want to have anything to do with gay people. And in America, that's such a weird um, composite of belief systems that uh, I saw that fight going on and um, I thought we were at the forefront of stuff by being all uh, peacenicky folks. But um, then I see actually we were quite behind and uh, I'm going to church every Sunday and I didn't like the politics of who can be in Sunday school and, oh, hey, Seth, you're smoking pot, are you? I don't know if we should have you around anymore. Well, you got bumped? I didn't get bumped with their conversations about. What were they like sitting you down? Like if you keep smoking that grass, uh, we're really not going to let you sing in Sunday school anymore. Like what was it? Like? It was hard to say. Just like he, he's this guy and this other person, my friend, clearly were growing out her hair and probably were smoking pot. But oh, there, was a, there was a sumptive pot smoking. It was just assumed by the length of the hair. Correct. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, in the midst of all those days, we had an interfaith month, really an interfaith uh, season, where we'd go to different um, communities of faith and learn about their perspectives. And one of them was to go to Shilai Temple in Hacienda Heights. And Shilai Temple is the biggest Mahayana Buddhist temple on the West Coast, if not in all of the uh, United States. It's just this astounding, huge uh, Buddhist ground. And, and I that's, got, like, that's not a Western convent temple, right? That's like more of a traditional yeah, temple Korean. for people that have maintain their faith from asia correct yeah so mostly mostly asian families mostly i i believe it's korean families there it might be taiwan um so you see a lot of asian families going there and it's different from a modern zen center that a lot of us might go to uh that's pretty much and you go to <laughs> yeah, i used to yeah I haven't gone time. yeah it's been a long time <laughs> uh welcome welcome to challenge yeah Anyway, uh, it, it, it uh, struck a bell as soon as I went there, and that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. Didn't really yeah. want to go back to church. Yeah, I'm still struck. Like, so all that time in church, Jesus, you were never, you and Jesus never clicked? Nothing, yeah. I, I, the community, is, it taught me the value of community and how we can work on that as Zen Buddhists because we're so practice-oriented that it's hard for people to welcome in their families and their kids and f have fun, you know, and feel the, the goodwill of that um, aspect because we're like, want to be awakened and stuff. <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah, the other side though, I go to church 
And I feel like I don't, I'm having fun sometimes when they're not preaching and I'm hanging out with my friends and we're talking, but when I'm actually at church, I'm not being fed at all in the way that I get fed when I sit. So I've, I'm happy to have had that uh, growing upness with the community, but still having someone, something lacking there and then find something else that is still young to America. So it's figuring out how to adapt um, to all these first and second generation Buddhists, I think. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, so you grew up Christian, pretty heavily Christian, but also a strange branch of it, right? The no creed, pacifist oriented, West Coast sort of dilution of a lot of the more uh, apparent toxic elements. But then when you're like, what, you're 18 and you first connect to Zen? When was that um, for you? I would have been, um, I think I went to that temple when I was 15. I read Siddhartha when I was 16. And when I was 17, uh, I just woke up one day and sort you're of just done. Up. You're like totally fucking enlightened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I made, I was about to go to college. So I was able to make a reorientation of my identity and call myself Buddhist with a new group of people. That was in college. Like when you first said like, was, I am a Buddhist. Yeah. It was before college. I remember having the moment I woke, I like went and saw my friends. I didn't say anything, but they knew I was sort of interested in, Eastern philosophy. And then when I went to college, I was like, I need to tell people I'm Buddhist because it's going to help. And it did. It did help. Like help stabilize it sort of in your life? Help me need to practice more because I yeah. couldn't just say it and not sit. What, what was that? What came first for you? Like a Buddhist identity or actually like meditating? Um, I, once I started meditating and realizing how significant of an experience it was, um, then I said, I'm going to be Buddhist. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know anything about teachers. Yeah, You're not like really allowed to just say you're Buddhist, right? There's like initiations and right. empowerments and like, yeah. you gotta, and, <laughs> and even those you get do, satchels like, and shit, you know, Yeah, if you say you're a Buddhist, you're pretty like far along the way, you know, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people who sort of dabble with it partially because they're of a, a mindset that they don't want to be attached to something that they might not say it. But in Christianity, you just can have your moment get saved. You don't even have to go to church anymore. You're you like, convert. you mean like sort of your conversion moment where like yeah. the Holy Spirit taps your heart and you're like, Oh fuck God, I'm down. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of wanted to have that with myself and just like take the vows on my own and not have a teacher and just say I'm Buddhist. And there's like a Christian sense of conversion, which is sort of how it works actually in Asia. You're like a religious studies person at heart. You're like, okay, well, in order to make this work, I have to have a conversion experience. So I'm going to start <laughs> yeah. calling myself Buddhist. So then this is going to help me to make this real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like this unwrapping of what really went on. <laughs> I hope my framing does justice to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's like little Seth, right? Little Seth is like starting to meditate. Are you like getting, are you like listening? This is before apps, right? There's no apps. Yeah, there's just AOL. There's just AOL. You're like in the dorms. Are you sitting in your dorm room? Where are you meditating at? Um, I, I, I regenerated what kind of had died the Zen Center at college. So uh, we would sit in the chapel. Yeah. So you're and Christ, Christian at heart, like replant those seeds wherever you there go. You go. <laughs> there's got to be a mission in here. And I do remember a moment that I think a lot of people who start sitting have where I start feeling quieter inside. Mm -hmm. And then I go and see my amazing rowdy group of friends. And I'm not sure how to just bring back up that yelling passion of the you know jokes that we're talking about. Yeah, so that took me a little bit to, to find the coming in and out, the coming in and out of 
going to sitting and then going to the cafeteria for dinner. Yeah. I mean, this has been my struggle up until this day. Like how to, how to both live sort of, uh, fully, you know, like without sort of negating each other, that sort of quiet openness. And also like, I don't know that other shit. (laughs) Um, Hmm. So we met, right? Um, God, when do we meet? We it was like 10 years ago? 2010, 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, uh, I don't think I clicked with you right away. Yeah, it took us a little bit. Like not in like an anti-click where I'm like, oh, who's this Seth guy? You know what I mean? But you were the only person my age. <laughs> <laughs> At like this Zen center that we went to with a bunch of white boomers, right? And a couple of like 40 to 50 year old boomers. They're not boomers, Gen Xers, right? <laughs> You, you made you made you made effort. I remember. I think you made me a mixtape when I went to New Mexico to go farming, and you really? called me when I was gone. Oh, we became friends when you left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this guy's putting in the work, and he seems very fascinating. Oh, uh, what 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 fascinated you? What, you know, what were you like? Oh, he's fascinating. Oh, <laughs> uh, you kind of have a like a far out eye. Oh um, yeah. Like you've. It seems like you've been places that um, you only have somewhat returned from <laughs> i'm still trying to get back <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and that and you've you've grown quite a bit oh yeah i know yeah we're we, that was 10 years ago we're both like different people now right yeah we're in our 30s and we're like yeah, in houses sort of you're getting interviewed by like famous tv stations and i'm pretending <laughs> to interview people <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you are writing great, uh, great blog posts, which I came across dear to, dear to your uh, lovely wife today. Yeah, she's, she's. Did you read that one? I did. I loved it. Really? Oh, that's so sweet. I'm so self-conscious. I have this thing on the internet that I don't show anyone about. The only hits on my analytics on my website are are definitely from me. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been there. So. Don't you <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, I will say that Zen Center was. Um, I found it at, at a a fair, a Buddhist fair that Portland maybe still has every year. Um, you can go, and I didn't know what it meant, Buddhist fair, but really it's a place to have different Buddhist communities in Portland get more followers. Yeah, it's like a Buddhist marketing. Yeah. For, marketing like a, is the right word. Which yeah, is, I was like, oh, a fair is going to be dancing and kids running around and food. And then it's like just some booths with like the, the different Buddhists selling their Buddhism. Yeah, uh, maybe we still got to work on that. Uh, Fortunately, no, though, no, no, wait, hold on. I tried to work on it. I'm like, I, this thing isn't a fair. We need to bring the revival, the renaissance to it. Like there needs to be a fair. So I joined the like board to work on it. And it was, it was so boring. I just <laughs> I tapped out. <laughs> yeah, I, I did come across uh, Mike Pappas, a, a great guy who founded, I don't even think he co-founded. I think he may have founded the Zen Center of Portland way back uh, before it had a teacher and I assume the 90s. And that's what brought me, I was just done with college and I had kind of come into this understanding while I was just beginning to sit every day, I didn't quite know what I was doing and I thought that was a problem. So I needed someone to talk to. You, your, your story kind of reminds me of the, the history of Western Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Like you have that early like world religion that happened like the early 1900s where there's like a little bit of buddhism but then the boomers happen right and they don't know shit they're just like <laughs> jack Kerouac. they're just reading books and they're like oh, i'm a buddhist and they're just like <laughs> meditating but they don't fucking know anything and the hippies are like wait we should actually like 
we should go to China and India. <laughs> but you like, you just went a five miles to a Zen center to learn. Yeah, indeed. Well, I did study abroad in Vietnam. So oh, yeah, I got, yeah. I got some months in there and which um, is absolutely 100% completely different from. Yeah. There's like two Buddhisms, right? There's like white person Buddhism and then like everyone else's Buddhism and they like don't yeah. mix at all. Yeah. yeah. You know, they might be coming together a little bit. I, I, I remember uh, I go to all these temples in Vietnam and just the iconography is so powerful there. Mm -hmm. and the monks are somewhat bored sometimes because it's, this, it's a, not a bad life for a person, but you know, it's a little ho-hum. And if you don't really have this passion to be a monk for your whole life, you just do it because it's- Well, because it can kind of be like being a banker there, right? Or a doctor. It's like a noble profession to get into. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. I remember this one monk who I'm thinking of now because I have this opportunity. I was like, so what do you- want to do with yourself and he's like i really want to go to africa like, oh interesting now i'm going to africa so i'm going to think about that monk when yeah. i'm there and do it for him yeah do it for all the monks that didn't get to go to africa <laughs> yeah but so you're like a you're just finishing college you're like oh my god maybe i should actually learn how to meditate yeah and i i shopped around a little bit and um some of them seemed course the irony of what we'll get to some of them seemed too heavy with their teacher too guru like others were not quiet and i really needed a, a quiet place to are you stay. talking about the environment itself or the community yeah i'm talking about they actually had noise in the background yeah or guided meditation or it was chanting i remember one guy told me that silent meditation is fine but it's not powerful enough you have to chant and that really pissed me off oh <laughs> i think that was a gakai uh, people Anyway, it, oh yeah, Namioho Rengyuko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it hit a nerve, I guess. So. I, yeah, they're they they're kind of got a sordid reputation. They're considered a organization to watch out for in France, like potentially a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I, I mean, I do find Shani powerful, but uh, slightly neither here nor there. So uh, finally, I came to the Zen Center of Portland. And uh -huh. they were having sits every day, which was such a gift to be able to go to a place every day to sit. And it was at 6 a.m. I'd moved downtown with my college bros. And I thought, I guess I'm going to do this. I'm going to go sit every morning at 6 here. Um, and I went and it was, uh, I just felt so welcomed by the people there. And I'd never um, had a teacher relationship before. And I met Larry Christensen, the teacher, and he helped me in so many ways to um, see how, you know, just watch someone who's sat for so long was really, um, crucial for me too. Um, of course, and it was kinda, such a strong group of folks there, right. That would sit pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we go out for coffee a couple times a week afterwards. And I remember talking to Larry in my first conversations and I said, so you guys ever play games out here? He's like, <laughs> oh, uh, mm uh yeah um some people play games i think it's like okay yeah we should play some games yeah larry wasn't so into community <laughs> no, was not uh not yeah not that. yeah so that was my entryway um into well, wait, well, for, for me right because I, I have a certain belief i don't know if that's the right word but like retreat is fucking where it's at Mm -hmm. like it's like i don't I mean, people that like think they meditate you know what i mean i'm like if you haven't gone on a meditation retreat like you don't know what you're talking about and like when was the first time you like uh, sat and stared at the wall for five days <laughs> do you remember for oh, you? my oh, first yeah. time well my first retreat was that would have been 
um, the previous spring before I found the Zen Center of Portland at Great Val. You did a Great Val, like a week long or? A... It was a weekend and it was yeah. a calligraphy retreat. Oh. So you're not sitting too much. You're sitting two, three times a day and you're yeah. doing calligraphy. But it was, it was the beginning of that. Um, and I, I got it, you know, sort of a taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, there was one guy who was uh, in the sort of isolation hut, just working by himself for a year, which was off and away. And me and another person wrote some riddles and we left him in his uh, like <laughs> waterfall fountain in his front porch. <laughs> and I was very proud of that. So I was still in that uh, having a good time mindset. And then have you left that mindset or I have not. Okay, not. good. And then you, uh... <laughs> well, and then right before my first retreat of the Zen center, I realized I could sit full Lotus. Oh, awesome. I can sit full Lotus for a half hour. Yeah. So thought, you're like yeah, one can, of the cool guys. The cool I people. can do this all day. So I sat full Lotus for the first 35 minute period and it kind of killed me. And then I tried it again and it completely killed me. And the rest of the day, the leg pain was, I had gone too far and I couldn't come back. And the very last period at the Zen Center of Portland, as you remember, we'd face in to start and then we'd face the wall. And when we'd finish, we'd face in again. And that very last facing in, I just leaned against the wall, (laughs) almost threw up. I kind of just like hid my head and my shoulder and the bell rang and the first day or the second day or whatever it was was done Uh, and Mike Pappas the one who I'd first met to begin he came up and he gave me a big hug at the end of the day I think he knew yeah yeah. hey this is hard he made it through yeah Um, yeah and I'd go to a couple year after that and I think you're completely right Brandon going to a retreat is a really powerful and important experience and also just so intense yeah, what, what, what's that taste? You said you got a taste at Great Val. And... Um, I got a taste of the quiet, I think. Yeah. Um, the stillness is really important. And it's, um, it's a stillness that is full of potentiality. Um, I know I've been reading this book on Chinese medicine and they talk about the consciousness of potentials or consciousness and awareness itself is something waiting to be born. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the stillness that has energy within it, it's not like I have a lot of potential to be a great musician. You know, it means, oh, one day I'll be a great musician. I can't wait to bloom. But I feel like this stillness that has potential for great energy and for great blooming is perfect when it's just, it's potential. It's just still. So there's this feeling of great vibrancy within the stillness that does not need to, you don't wait for it to go forth and be born. It's great as it is. And if it ever comes to a point where, you know, you need to run around and celebrate or it leads to a great work, then it goes to its next place, naturally next place. And I felt, I got that first taste of the stillness that has energy within it, I think at that retreat. Yeah, I was listening to a documentary of Ramana Marahashi, you know him? I don't. Oh, Ramana Marahashi, he's like a, I think he was like 50s India. He was like a little guy and decided he was gonna, he's like 16 and he thought he was dying. Laying in bed, thought he was dying for some reason and he decided to lean into it. And then he sort of like tasted, I think something similar to describing this sort of vibrant stillness. But he would describe it later in life a bit as a current. Like there's this current you sort of step in 
and you just sort of mm. rest there. Um, mm. I don't know. I was mm. thinking of that as you were talking. That always moving. Yeah, or the, or, it's, or it's like a zone, and then like mm. has a flow and an energy to it, and yeah, you can kind of notice it and sort of hang out there. <laughs> what a retreat do you find to be something that's special? Um. I haven't done one in a couple of years, so they feel a bit far away. Well, A, they're like the hardest thing I've ever done, always. Up until sort of recently, have they, like, you know, like 40 in, it took me to be like, oh, like this isn't so bad. <laughs> but like, it's incredibly difficult in a way that's so confusing because you're just sitting there. And it's like, what is so hard right now? And there seems for me like this, like really potent sort of intelligence that is like infused in the experience. Like, and I, and I don't know if that's like, oh, I'm gonna go into a transformative space or if it's in the nature of a meditation retreat. But like, if you just like surrender to the practice as best you can, you know, like an intelligence kind of comes through and works through the body mind in a way that like both kind of heals and like uh enlivens you know like it, it's almost like I, I let go and then like i get healed in a way i couldn't imagine and every time it's like a new one sort of like i don't i can't predict what it's going to be about but like it's almost like this i get to feel lighter and healed but also to like trust that there's this like intelligence governing my life that's like far beyond anything I can imagine. And if I just really let go fully, I can like see it pretty clearly. Like, oh, there you fucking are. Even though it's like there the whole time, you know, but it takes a retreat to be like, oh, if I get out of the way, it just like works out better. <laughs> so that sounds somewhat Christian. There's yeah. guiding you. Yeah, yeah. I feel there's some like, yeah, there's some intelligence. It's like, oh, you want to heal now? Like, great, let's fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> like we're here or you want to wake in or you want to whatever it is taste stillness like we'll show you what gets in the way of stillness here you're really attached to like this thing that you do in your mind over and over again like you want to let that go <laughs> so. people i hear people say that you have to ask for help to receive yeah. yeah yeah um so you're like 22 23 getting into the zen center um doing a few retreats sitting like you would try to do like three or four mornings a day, right? Yeah, I'd, and if I wouldn't go uh, to the Zen Center, I'd sit at my house. So I'd, yeah. I'd do my hour every day. Yeah, about every other day is about right. Yeah. Um, I tried doing an hour in the evening too, and it was too much. I couldn't maintain it. And now I do 15 minutes at night, and that's sort of my sweet spot for the morning, evening, I think. Dude, um, I just gave up fucking time. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like the thing that's helped me most to have like some consistency is like I sit in the morning, I sit in the evening. Okay. And sometimes that's like 17 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but most of the time, if I actually sit down, I just want to keep sitting. Yeah. I uh -huh. just have to go through that hurdle, like, uh, and then sit, mm. like oh, wait, this is better. <laughs> but so yeah, you're. I, well, you I would say that coming back a little bit to the brethren tradition and something that's so neat about being brethren and I'll always feel brethren is that there are denominations throughout the United States and there are summer camps throughout the United States. And I could go into any of these denominations or summer camps and I can say the name of my family or just say, you know, I grew up going to this church, you know, and I'll feel, I'll be welcome there. Yeah, and yeah. I know there's probably some people I'll know. 
Yeah, you name some lineage and you're accepted. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and with Ordinary Mind, which is the Zen school that the Zen Center Portland is associated with, there's sort of a a rough path of people, you know, they're about eight or so when I started going in America and two in Australia. And now they're all over Europe, by the way. Not all over, but they're in a number of countries there, in addition to Mexico. Um, so I thought, oh, that's cool. Like, I want to go to these other places too and mm-hmm. check them out, thinking that they were more deeply connected than they are. Um, and uh, oh, my cat Oblix is. Oh, hey, buddy. She likes to sit with me. Okay. Um, so I went to the one in Austin um, with Peg Spearson, I believe is her name. At um, oh, I'm going to butcher it. Amapada, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've met her before. Great. <laughs> And then um, I went to the one in um, Berkeley with uh, Diane, maybe is her name. She, then she has a Japanese last name. Um, and I wrote Larry uh, a number of years ago and said, what do you think about connecting these people into an organized whole, you know, a real congregation, having like a, a retreat where we all get together once a year? Yeah. And it, that, he, he expressed some interest. It never really got off the ground, though. And I realized that that's not sort of what this tradition seems to be about. I was kind of bringing in a hope from a previous tradition to this. Uh, Joko Beck, who started this whole thing, really gave in the founding document each teacher the opportunity to use whatever practices they needed to use for their group. You know, there's nothing saying, let's all be together and let's all meet up, you know. Um, So it was interesting kind of like wanting this to be like a a whole net, you know, trying to bring it all together while also seeing the advantages of it not being institutionalized where um, you don't own, you don't have to talk to your governing body and, you know, have these meetings that can kind of bring things down. On the other hand, there's no standard for the teaching ethics to be held up to. Yeah. Which, you know, was a problem we eventually came across. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like in some ways I'm just trying to get us to that point where we can talk about that. Yeah. I think we came yeah. across and just giving yeah. a little context. Yeah. So like, so we meet, we hang out for years and then you move to Joseph, which your wonderful living room is in. As you were talking, I was kind of admiring your space because I've been there over the years and it's come along so far. And it just yeah. seems so cool to see like the little changes and how it just gets brighter and more beautiful over time, which. Yeah, um, it's fun. Yeah. But you're in Joseph, you're meditating, you're still part of Zen Center of Portland a bit. You come for retreats here and there and stuff. And then like shit hits the fucking fan. Like we're both, what we were in the community. I was in there seven or eight years. I was on the board of directors. I would lead some stuff in the community a little bit, you know, and it just got kind of fucking weird and gnarly quick. Right. Yeah. I was at, um, I was at the, the eclipse. Oh yeah. The crazy eclipse with all the traffic that happened. Like Five, four years ago or whatever wild yes uh it would have been august 2017 um and uh maybe july and i i see ellis a member of the group at her house in john day and i see mike Poppis. there's a couple other people there and at the very end uh mike comes up to me i don't know if he'd been i think he might have been holding this in and um i was there with my partner at the time and he says uh seth i need to tell you something before you leave i'm just packing up my stuff and he says, oh, I want you to know that Larry, our teacher, has had an affair. And I think that's yeah. all I said. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. There's nothing yeah. that would have shocked me more to think that our, my teacher, 
who had guided me so wisely that I could, guided me so well I could leave, in fact, um, would do this thing. And um, I, he was contacted by Larry's uh, now ex-wife to let him know what had happened. And, yeah, and there was yeah. a little confusion, right? Because ex-wife said that she was a Zen student, which implied that she was like part of the Zen community, but it was more she like meditated. There, oh, was, I, there was a more complicated history there that was kind of even yeah. darker, but yeah. yeah. And uh, I just, yeah, I was in tears and Ellis came out and I couldn't say goodbye to anybody else. I just oh, you just kind of had to be alone with your feeling. I couldn't even say it. And Alice yeah. didn't yet. And I just said, I said, don't worry, nobody died. And I left and uh, was just in sh just totally in shock. Uh, which, which was really interesting in the community because we have a pretty stark difference here, right? Because I learned similarly, right? Because I was on the board of directors and like, should we do something about this? Yeah. Well, he had an affair. It was outside of the community. You mm -hmm. know, people make mistakes. And I'm like... I mean, I don't think it's good to get an affair, but like, I don't <laughs> like people have like people have affairs. People are, yeah. you know, sex is always complicated and challenging in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see it as such a big deal. Mm -hmm. But for like you, it was like, this yeah. is this is cardinal sin. Yeah, I was uh, the breach of trust was so was profound for me. Yeah, and my breach of trust came later. <laughs> and I didn't even know how bad it was. I didn't even know how bad it was. I just. Uh, I knew that it wasn't the first time. I did know that. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think that was implied in the email yeah. that the wife sent. Um, and so, I'm like, I want to be careful as we're talking, right? Because there's some like rumorville here and personal stories. And it's like, yeah. we're, we were part of a community, right? Like a spiritual mm -hmm. community. And it wasn't like a well-known one, a super well-known one. It was like one of five in Portland. Mm -hmm. And there's this thing in the Zen world and a lot of sort of Western spirituality that takes on like Eastern models that there mm -hmm. are just like in Catholic church and Christian church, there's like a lot of sexual misconduct and yeah. sort of uh, egregious ethical errors that happen that destroy the community. But then that also like really fucks with people's spiritual foundations because mm -hmm. the community like alienates them and things happen and mm -hmm. people kind of lose their bearing. So I think like what we're talking about right now is like kind of important, especially that it wasn't of scale that like we were part of a community. We weren't like, uh, the misconduct wasn't directed towards us, but like it profoundly impacted us to be part of a community that fell apart due to like ethical grievance. And it's hard not to talk about that grievance a bit to share about our impact. So I, I don't know, I'm kind of like wanting to acknowledge it. Like, I don't want to get in rumorville, you know what I mean? Like who, yeah. what, who did what and this and that, but there's like a little bit of like, there's some context for this thing that like, uh, really impacted I think both of us and really impacts a lot of people in spiritual communities to yeah. have whatever la level of contact they were with the sort of misconduct because like when this was happening to us Shambhala was going down and like Shambhala is this huge corporate international sort of Buddhism right and like and they're like who knows where they are now but it was like in the mainstream media and everything and i've got good friends that are really close in those circles so yeah just for a little context there i appreciate you saying that and i think one of my my reaction was um contextualized by how serious of an issue this is within the zen community mm -hmm. the institutional community of anyone who has power big power to be a leader and in the religious community in general so i was 
you know, I've been thinking about it. I know that where I grew up in Los Angeles, stuff had gone down at Mount Bal- uh, Mount Baldy. Oh yeah, um, and that felt pretty gross. Yeah, when I read it there, like just mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Ugh. yeah. Um, so to have someone uh, ignore, and I realize, you know, if it was just an affair, to ignore how important the effect would be by being another person in this context yeah, 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 yeah. that was just so disappointing i was so disappointed you were disappointed in how, how larry the teacher kind of held his role about like taking on this role maybe you're held to a different standard not because that's the reality right like to be a zen master you can't have affairs maybe that's not true but to to protect people from being hurt in certain ways that pushes them away from community and practice there, there's something that you really you really have to be careful if you're a community leader I think you really have to be careful if you're a community leader. I think it's really important to take ethics classes and to have a mentor, even while you're leading. What about like, this is hitting a little abstract, which I don't want to go too far there, but like communities have expectations too, right? Yeah. That aren't necessarily healthy. Like I think a Trump or Rinpoche, right? Like sorted and he drank himself to death, you know, would sleep with his students openly. I would hear stories that he would have his like inner students take a bunch of LSD and hang out in the back room and try to act normal. And this is like his teaching method, you know, and he would sit on stage and just like smoke cigarettes and would like clearly be drunk regularly. And a part of me was like, Oh, that was so good for like our Christian Puritanism. You know what I mean? To see this sort of dude that, and unfortunately it was a dude, but like, sort of challenging convention. Cause I think that needs to be broken through a little bit. Like it doesn't need to look a certain way. Yeah. So there's this like balance of like, how much do you uh, bend to the community? You may not bend, but like hold the community's ethics that they need to feel safe and also challenge it a bit too, that maybe there's some misconception there, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that gets a little bit easier if the teacher talks about their personal problems. Oh yeah, if they're actually a human. Yeah, no, certainly I never got that from Larry. Yeah, if I had heard throughout the context of his discussions with people or in personal interview, you know, I have these problems too. You know, I struggle with blah blah blah. Um, I think I think one could have it would have made it easier for me to see the reality and not um, hold it up a little bit higher, probably. Yeah, I remember I was like with another person in the community. We're talking, and he's like, "Yeah, sometimes I just don't click with Larry because like." I got like a rowdy energy. Sometimes I just need like drink whiskey and like go to the bar and like got to hold back. And like this other teacher I liked, it's clear that he struggles with that too. And then like years later, it's like, little did we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so going back to the sort of the timeline of it. Yeah. Um, so you find out at the eclipse. You find I- out at the eclipse and um, uh, it was sort of a back and forth. I was shocked he didn't resign, you know um he wrote this uh email to people that um acknowledged it but just sort of as an announcement it wasn't really an apology it was just hey this um, happened this happened i'm uh, i'm going through a separation with my partner and i have a new person i'm dating i have a new girlfriend just so everybody knows and she may be around the zen center something like that uh was written which felt to me fairly unwise to suddenly think about bringing this new person in when um we hadn't processed this yet on the other hand i'm pretty far distant removed i hadn't been back to portland yet and i knew that there were circle talking circles going on which Mm -hmm. felt healthy 
Yeah, I was on the board of directors and we kind of were trying to decide what to do about it. And there was this sort of debate around cheating, not cheating, like the ethical ramification, like did it impact the community or not? Um, that was going on and kind of leaned towards maybe this wasn't so impactful, but like, yeah, oh, there's so complicated. There's a history there, right? Cause he had misconduct in the therapy world in the, uh, before and the board took action to try to sort of separate his therapy life out from his teaching life. And he didn't really follow that. And we're like, maybe we should double down on that again. Like actually ask him to hold up the things he said he was going to do 10 years ago, like not see Zen students and therapy students together. Um, so this is kind of what I remember happening around that time a little bit. Yeah. And that's a pretty interesting point you bring up because all the information of his past indiscretions, which had been you know documented, didn't feel public to me. I didn't know about any of that stuff. And I don't know if anybody on the, not on the board knew about any of that stuff. Either. Yeah. And I, I like learned about it because I was on the board because it was written in some history there. You know what I mean? And I clearly knew that he was seeing both seeing people as clients and as Zen students, mm -hmm. which to me is like an ethical gray area, like a not a clean gray area, like, ooh, that's a little gray. Mm -hmm. But then to learn that he had been told not to, and then the board and myself being part of the board, I was complicit in it, um, did not hold him to that standard, which to me kind of spoke to some of the challenge, right? That there, there was a boundary laid and then that boundary was not honored. Yeah. Yeah, it was just sort of dismissed, like whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you find out and you don't really know the inner circle conversations kind of as well as I did. Yeah, not so much. So for some reason, uh, through a, you know, a reply that maybe shouldn't have gone to me that did, I, I was able to see some of the board of directors information on it and see how sort of hot of an issue it was. Oh, yeah. uh, I wrote Larry a letter and he never responded. No, I think he responded the day before the retreat with an email. But um I just asked him like, you know, how do you feel about this? And I'm really disappointed. And, um, you know, what, what went on, you know, and he didn't, Larry's response to me made it seem like he didn't think it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. he, he, he messed up, but it wasn't a grievous error. That's sort mm -hmm. of what, you know, he found the love of his life and now they're together and he wished he had dealt with the marriage, not quote unquote as messy as it was. Yeah, you wish it was cleaner. As cleaner. Sort of, that, yeah. And that, I think, that was his perspective on it. it. You know, it was his personal issue. Um, he wished he had talked about it with people beforehand, but he didn't. And, you know, life goes on, you know, and he can, there's no reason why he couldn't continue to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I think. And I'm like, on, I'm on board with Larry right now as we're talking. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, I'm like, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, you fucked up there. That was not yeah. relationally clean, but like, you know. Um, can't and be perfect. I, I remember one person wished that he had asked that he step aside for at least six months. Mm -hmm. And I encouraged that position. Yeah, you were um, part of the six month crew, right? Like take a break, mm -hmm. just sit, sit and, as a community member or something. Yeah. And I, I don't think that got any traction at the time. No, no, none. Yeah. <laughs> but then there was a retreat. Yeah, the retreat. And I went to most retreats, a lot of, a lot of retreats there. This one I missed. And I'm like, oh my God, I missed the most dramatic crazy retreat that ever happened there <laughs> it, was, it was truly the mother and uh, here it was just like surreal and up. weird <laughs> yeah a lot of people didn't go um even people who are always there mm -hmm. those who are very close to larry who um i think were just feeling very disappointed and not certain about what was going on 
Um, and I, my intention was to go and to never come back. And to oh, this was your body. final, like, you, I was yeah. taking a stand. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to see people and I wanted to see Larry one more time uh, and maybe get, you know, who knows what it's like when you see people in person and. Yeah. You never know up. how it actually feels in your body when yeah. it's not just the story in the head. Yeah. Um, and, and with my own personal, just my own personal disappointment with what had gone on. I needed to process that in person with people. Yes. I really know how I felt about my spiritual direction. Um, you know, I'm, I'm practicing by myself for the most part for the previous um, four years, I guess. So I, I, I needed a little bit of a understanding of where I wanted to go. And what, I think what you're saying there is so important in some way because you were pretty disconnected, not disconnected, but distant, right? Like you had moved away pretty far. You weren't regularly part of the community. You still felt a spiritual kinship where it was your community at a distance, but you're like sort of pretty far removed at this point and you were shook. Yeah, really shaken. And really. then imagine the degrees of people closer, right? Mm -hmm. That the, this, mm -hmm. this reverberates out when these things happen in community. Mm -hmm. And I just think you naming that is like so important that like this really does disrupt people's orientation to their spiritual life like wait what the fuck like how do i make sense of life almost like kind of in the cult shows right there's like a few cult shows out right now and everyone's like when they find out the cult leader is a cult leader and not just like a spiritual leader they're like what the fuck like what do i do with everything i was taught how do i live my life um not quite saying you were there but no yeah you're totally right and i i felt some like privilege or gratitude at the other hand of not being there because like that, I knew that I, far into it. Yeah, I knew if I was actually in Portland practicing, um, I just, uh, the, the tragedy of it all in some ways and the disconnection with trying to figure out how to deal with this. Um, I know it's just, just so painful for so many people. Um, yeah. And, and, and you're speaking about your context for me in this time, I had grown pretty stale at the community. Mm -hmm. I've been practicing there seven years and I was really on my way out. Like I was on the board of directors. I ran a weekly meditation group. Um, felt pretty a part of it for a while. And then was like, I partially cause of Larry, not like he had done something horrific, but I just felt there wasn't a lot of energy towards community and personal relationship. And I just felt a flatness there between me and him in a way. So it was like, kind of like, okay, I'm ready to go. I think it's time for me to leave. So when all this happened, it was like, I was distant too, in a way, even though I was much closer than you were in some ways. Yeah. But like an internal distance was pretty loud in me, which I was like trying to, we were trying to do things that a lot of people that felt that way to shift things to like create some vitality again, but it didn't work out. <laughs> I, I remember going to the retreat too. And my best friends, you, Ellis, a man named John Flynn who had moved away a while ago and Mike Pappas, none of them were there. Yeah. And even if this hadn't happened, I don't know if you guys would have been there anyway. I think you would, for various reasons, some of them Larry related, some of them not. I sort of felt like, ah, I, I'm ready to go move on to my own practice somewhere else or just, I'm yeah. so I felt, Oh man, maybe it's, it's kind of time. Um, for a change to happen um, for just speaking to me personally now that I, cause I go to a place I can sit on my own. I go to a place for the community. I go yeah. to practice and make friends and yeah. if my friends aren't there. Um, it's something that struck me on the side as I was going through the experience of being at the retreat. 
Yeah, yeah. So do you want me to talk a little bit about Yeah, the- surreal retreat, right? <laughs> and then I feel that's going to get us like where we sync up because we haven't like synced up in our stories yeah. yet. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so I go and I'm feeling very, very emotional and I'm cooking also. Which is not a thing for you, right? Not that you're not emotional, but like... I relate to you getting a bit of buoyancy in life. Like you get to be a fairly buoyant human. That may be like me projecting Fair onto you. Buoyant, like a buoyant. Buoyant, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to like, oh, Seth's always happy. But like, I remember one time I saw you pretty sad after a breakup. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Seth's hanging out where I hang out now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really comfortable here, buddy. Like I spend a lot of time here. And you're like, what the fuck is this place? And I'm like, oh, don't worry. It's not so bad. You'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh it was one you know when, when i go deep i go really deep into yeah. an emotional um well of of sadness it's not depression it's just sadness and i was feeling that the entire time you were like you were in it i was in it and i remember cooking and i had made a decision i was not going to see larry in the interview room yeah and like um, interviews are this thing during retreat and they don't just happen on retreats but you kind of go in and sit privately with the teacher and the ideas you kind of uh, meet face to face and see what happens. Yeah, very intimate, and I'm sure you've had these experiences with Larry too. But I've I've had just really healing, beautiful moments with this person one on one, and um, they've yeah they've they're things I'll always remember, and they've shaped my life uh, when I was having a hard time, or he'd really encourage me when I wanted to celebrate something. Yeah, they're they're similar to like confession, not really, but like I think people can imagine confession. Like you walk into this booth, there's a ritual to it. Like you go sit down in front of your teacher, and then it only sometimes lasts like three minutes, maybe like two to five minutes usually, right? Where you just sit there, have a very direct exchange where you're trying to skip the surface and just go to the heart of it as quickly as you can, and then yeah, yeah, or um you were not in the interview room and you'll hear people in the interview room crying. Yeah. 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 It really brings the practice home. Yeah. Uh, this is why we do this. It's, this is really hard. Some of the being alive can be really difficult. Yeah. Having a space where people can go and cry and then come back and sit with you all holding yeah. it together. Yeah. Uh, as I've been, I've done that. I've gone there and cried and come back really helps. Yeah. So yeah, I say a- that because uh, deciding not to go to the interview room was like, Sort of, you know, just part of my own inner thing where I like to take a stand. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a stand, I guess. That's and rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm cooking. And Larry sees me in between interviews and he just pokes his head in the kitchen. He's like, hey, so good to see you. Hey, come in the interview room anytime, okay? Oh, yeah. And, and you're like, and I, no, I, no, no. <sighs> and I just turned my head around and started crying and just kept cooking oh that, that's how much the disconnect was he had this jovial sort of like yeah. oh hey how's it going and you're like mourning the loss and so i knew i couldn't go in when he said that i was like i can't go in I yeah can't go in. yeah so uh, i think it was a three-day retreat which means we start on a thursday night and we end on a sunday and the very first evening feels tense and i think the next day um a woman named Hillary opened up some space to invite us in to sort of hint at the feelings that we're at, but we weren't quite there yet. And I'd like to point this out emphatically, Larry brought his new girlfriend to the retreat. Yeah. And that was just such a shock. We are in the house where Larry and his wife have lived for the last- Yeah, yeah, because the, the, the Zen Center is the bottom story of a three-story house, right? Like 
bottom story is all Zen Center, and the top two is where Larry lives with his wife and sometimes his older kid that would kind of be there at times. And the top loft of that bottom story is Larry's office. Oh, yeah, his psychotherapy and his wife's psychotherapy's office down there too, right? It's down there in the hallway of the Zen Center. Yeah, so it's all fucking mixed up, dude. It's just a hot mess of like dynamics spinning together, like a soupy fucking weird place. I'd like to shout out to the, the women in particular who had always pointed out, this is a bad idea. And I thought, oh, I don't know. I think he's just integrating. And now they're, they're well, they're completely right. Um, and to see this woman with Larry, granted, they seemed like they were happy together, brought into this space before anything had been processed, where his, you know, I don't know if she's living there upstairs or not, um, was just so disrespectful and felt so like you just took a bite of the worst food I've ever eaten in my life. Yeah, and like disrespect is, comes from a certain values perspective, but there's like a, other stances to take too around like maybe considerate, like consi- mm-hmm. and not considerate and being polite, but like considering the needs and the emotional tone of the community and like sort of privileging maybe his needs above the community needs in a way. I don't know. I, I haven't thought about this till we're sitting here now, but. Like, so yeah, it feels like he sort of jammed in something like accept this now yeah yeah um and he she had a lot of leg pain I, yeah. I remember i think it was her first retreat and so she'd have to leave during the sits to go step outside or something which i understand but he would leave when she would leave to check in on her and he had never used to leave as you did never left when I walked <laughs> As someone who has gone to retreats with partners, you can totally understand why you want to check in on your partner. But it's what you, you don't do that on a retreat. You let people have their own experience yeah. in a big and way. As the teacher who's kind of holding the guard, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. That cushion he's always on in the at the forefront of the room. It was very weird to see them leave all the time. So the 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 jar like teenagers fighting almost sort of like they're having to like deal with their sort of inner it, dynamics not, oh yeah sort of felt like he's just he's putting her first oh. he wants her to really know hey i'm here for you and if you have yeah. problems i'm going to come check on you and that's yeah. as, yeah. that's just the decision he made um well we're all you know still seething with things left unsaid mm-hmm. um and i'd go on walks with some people it was really nice we'd kind of try and process what was going on people would text me during the retreat and i like i needed i i checked my phone after the retreat and noticed that you know people like checking in on what was going on um and eventually um someone had called out larry for how inappropriate they thought it was for um him to have his uh then partner at the retreat and you know he sort of nodded and he was trying different things out too he'd bring multiple people into the interview room at once. Um, I don't know if he let other people give the talk, but um, there were different practices. We'd often do eye gazing. And he, he tried different group practices just to bring some new ideas in. Some of those practices I thought were nice. Some of them I thought were outside of the issue. But finally on our penultimate day, I believe, day two, everyone said kind of what needed to be said. And when it was my turn to speak, I started crying, mm. crying and crying and crying. And I said, I want to thank everyone for being part of this community that I've been in, you know, for the last <clears throat> five years, but I'm not coming back to the Zen Center. 
And I just want everyone to know that for me, Larry crossed the line. And so I can't go to retreat here anymore. And I think when I said that, um, there was a long pause because it was the first person to sort of publicly leave, mm-hmm. you know, the group. Um, and um, uh, another friend followed up and said, um, you know, if everyone just said what they needed to say and did what they needed to do, I think we would make it out of here okay. And, you know, thanks, Seth, for saying what you felt like you needed to say. Um, so I felt a lot of relief after saying that. Like, that was what I needed to do. Mm. Um, I needed to say what was important for my practice. And uh, others could certainly make their own decision about what to do uh, afterwards. Um, so it felt lighter a little bit after that. There were some jokes um, that kind of went on, but it was heavy the whole time. And even when we left, I remember Larry said, you know, I'll catch you in Joseph or something that felt pretty flat, I guess. Like not acknowledging the yeah the like, depth of rupture that happened in the relationship, <laughs> like the need for acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I went and hung out with people afterwards like we normally do or not. Unfortunately, um, the Zen Center always has a sit at noon on Sunday, and the retreats always end about 11.45 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I always, Larry would just sit after the retreat, and There's I was like, no God, room. you're such a fucking hermit. There's no <laughs> express with words how whatever so we'd you know go to a coffee shop but it would people wouldn't always show up there'd be some people would go some people yeah. wouldn't you know, and that was that so uh i left and then i the next day i believe larry um said he resigned but i know that was at the force of some people from the board yeah and like before we get there to that juncture point like there was a this theme that emerged when you were talking that was really alive for me as you were sharing was uh especially when you're talking about interviews, right? And describing how people in in these spiritual sort of transformational containers, in this case, like a Zen container, right? But there's a lot of different spaces that this type of stuff happens that like through the support of the community and the one-on-one with a teacher or one-on-one with a community that people can face their stuff. They can hold things that have been previously unable to be held, right? And maybe it breaks them a bit, like they cry, they feel like they're falling apart, but the community's there, the practice is there, and they're able to move through it, right? And usually feel more whole and kind of complete on the other side. But then you're describing the community being in turmoil with itself. Mm-hmm. That like the emotional evocative sort of struggle was actually due to the community dynamics. Mm-hmm. And then like the space didn't seem like it had anything to offer that. Like it had no way to help people be together. It could help people like fall apart with themselves and work through their own shit. But like your shit isn't the community shit. Like they're separate. Mm-hmm. And it, it even ties to me as we're talking like to your time in the brethren, right? Which is about community and like, how are we together in peace, right? Like how do we stay together? And from that kind of interview you gave the other day, right? Where it's like, how do you have a conflict with a friend? Right. And it just kind of felt like you're in a condensed you got a week together, a few days together, like you probably should be able to work things out if you have 24 hours a day to like, and you're just, everyone's in a room the whole time. Like you would think some <laughs> stuff would get fucking worked out, you know, like maybe I'm wrong in assuming that. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying is really apt. And um, in this form that it took, it was, I seemed to be closure as best as possible. For yeah, you found your closure despite the context. I mean, it seemed like Hillary helped, some other people helped. There was an attempt yeah. to address it, 
but you were able to kind of insert your closure into a space that wasn't really allowing like an authentic closure or an authentic processing. And the closure took the community. I couldn't yeah. have had it on my own. So yeah, there could, the community was, it was yeah. offering me a space to speak. Yeah, yeah, there's this beautiful um, phrase. I think it comes from like uh, Judaic traditions, but like it, it's not real until the other witnesses it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not quite the same, but like your spiritual, in this case, your spiritual experience is only real until you share it and someone witnesses it and if for you you like needed the community to witness yeah the ending it sounds on some way like for them to hear it and hold it yeah i don't, I don't want to say make it like performative art at all but as a person who does perform as a musician there's something very powerful to showing your song to yeah the yeah yeah the revealing of the self and the community yeah. the, the audience holding it and yeah something there there's definitely something there oh no i think like ritual healing space is a very performative endeavor i mean if you look historically right the the rituals were very intact and structured for a certain healing to happen Mm -hmm. like so i I think there's an element there that like oh i need to perform this thing for the healing to happen i have to like in therapy right i have to tell the story of what happened to me Right. Like whether that's true or not, that's just what people do. Like as a therapist, people just come sit down and tell me their story. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I, got, I guess you think this is what's going to help. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. um, and one other minor point I'd like to make is at the retreat, there were a couple of new people. Who had, oh, poor fellas. <laughs> really came from far away or had no familiarity to what was going on or had never gone to a retreat before. And they were so grateful to be in a, commu- a safe community space that they'd say out loud, like, why are you guys, are, I don't understand this problem. This is the best community I've been to. Yeah. Why is there an issue? And now you're saying you can't be together anymore? Yeah. I don't understand this at all. Yeah. So I then think, the, like the next day, like pretty quickly after that retreat is when Larry resigns? I think it was the next day. So... Yeah, so I was like on the board of directors and there was these internal emails going around and I don't even think I was aware the retreat was happening. I didn't realize this thing synced up so long, so close together. Um, and like th- the day before Larry resigned, I had a dream with you in it. Like you, ca- you came to me in a dream and it was just like you and me in this dream space, you know? And you're like, just so you know, you won't work with Larry again. And then like the dream ended. And I, I didn't think much of it, but then like the next day I opened my email, and like another community member had written the day before to him, like, "Hey, like, I, I'm telling, I'm, I'm asking for your uh, resignation." And I'm like, "Wait, why is he out of the blue asking for his resignation? I thought we already went through this because people had already asked." So it was like mm-hmm. this weird thing. And then the next email was Larry resigning, mm. and I was like, "Oh, there's some fucking shit happening that I am totally unaware of." Because, like, that email had such power in it, right? Like, I need you to resign. And Larry's like, I'll resign. (laughs) (laughs) That may not be how the flavor, but that was my interpretation of it, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, don't say anything more. I'm done. Don't worry. I'm good. (laughs) Like, we don't need to talk about this. Uh. And then he he was done. And I was so, like, whoa, that dream, right? Like, you came to me Mm -hmm. and was like, okay, something's preparing me for Mm -hmm. my own process, too. And it evoked so much for me because, like, for a few days, I didn't, um, I didn't really feel much, you know? And then we would like, we were having almost, it felt like really often we'd have these circles trying to process it and stuff. And 
you know what I mean? The whole community would come together and Larry would fucking be upstairs. All right, as soon as Larry, you'd hear footsteps upstairs and everyone's like, what's going on? Like half the community was like, you're trying to kick him out. And the other half was like, this is really horrible what's happened. And like women were coming forward with their own accounts of things that had happened, you know? And it was getting sort of like really tight as a community, like tight in the like, oh, how are we going to get through this? And I remember I was in front of my refrigerator and I just started crying, like waves of tears, you know? And there were no thoughts or anything. And it was just like pure cathartic crying. And like, I, I could kind of know that, cause my dad left me when I was a kid. And for you, right, the like him sleeping with someone else is like, you don't fucking do that. For me, it was like, oh, you just left? And like, there's this community in pain that's ruptured downstairs. Like we're fucking downstairs and you're not going to come down here and talk to us. You're not going to tell us why you left. You're not going to like help this process along. Cause there was even the whole process of leadership, right? He was like an authoritarian leader in a way and like held the community pretty tightly. It seemed really kind and gentle. And I was like, no folks, like he's in charge of fucking everything. Um, but like, so the community just fell apart cause we didn't know what to do without like the central leader, you know? But I'm like sitting there crying and I'm like, oh, like I get to feel the wounding from my father leaving me mm. that I couldn't touch. Like I wasn't able to access that. Like I'd done a bunch of therapy. I, I like cried about it a lot in the past, but like something in him leaving, right? Like my, the person I had given designation as like my spiritual father or whatever, right? Like yeah. this male authority, like you're gonna actually be the good man in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you fucking too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so it was really, it was really like interesting for me to like, like how do I, I struggle with how I hold, like I got like profound healing through the process, mm-hmm. both in like working through some internal wounding and struggles that I have like as a person and also like this real clear awareness that like things Larry did made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you talk to women and stuff and not in this like, super creepy way but a little bit where i was just like whoa dude like why are you doing that and i would never say anything and then that was the whole thing like oh i didn't say anything and then everyone would talk about how we didn't say anything Mm. and it was like oh why were we all not giving feedback like i felt complicit in sort of allowing whatever kind of underground current that was happening there around him seeming to need adoration and love from women that's yeah. you know what i mean that he wanted to stay in that light of receiving the sort of um i don't know ad- adoration is the only word i can come up with that it, like it just got to fester mm. you know i don't know a bit of a rant on my part oh, thank you for sharing about w- at what point the pain really intersected with your life yeah and, and I hope at some point, I don't know what your plans are, but to talk to some women involved in this, because um, I know their, their perspective of the intersection of their pain is, is so deep and yeah. uh, ingrained too. Because um, yeah, this has such like an archi- archetypal patterning to it. Like, you know, the, someone like abandoning a community and then the sexual rupturing too, like there's the sexual components to it. And then there's the fighting in the community, right? Like the people fighting with each other. I feel like anyone that has shit, which we all do, like it must have been activated. 
<laughs> like, like, like all the zones are like ready to be sort of like tap and like do you have pain there because it's going to come forward now <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah and then you were done were you like did you feel done after that like i said my piece and now i'm free yeah in some ways while living with a tragedy that i'd never experienced before yeah um it, it does feel it's it's like a a tough thing you think happens to someone else and it happened to you mm -hmm. um it happened to me what's the toughness what, what happened to you if you were to just having someone you, you love and revere and look up to let you down yeah that's yeah. what it is for me. yeah um but yet you talk about how there was a there was something really beautiful that happened you got to meet this pain that your father had left you with that you couldn't touch and now you can touch it yeah. and there was something really important there and i am also so grateful for this happening yeah because now the idea of the teacher student thing is just gone mm. and i feel so much lighter because of it yeah and i think it would have never left if i hadn't been so disappointed by it to think that it's something I needed and then it's gone and I can just be friends with people and that's enough. Yeah. Some spiritual friendship is yeah. enough to kind of keep the, the journey unfolding. Most certainly. Most certainly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's easy for me cause I'm out here. So it propelled a path that I was already on of practicing kind of on my own. Yeah. Yeah. It really like settled that. Like this is your path right now. Yeah. So I can, I can speak for myself personally of, um, being grateful for this lesson learned and also really taking sexual issues, sexual ethics with people who are in charge, really be gentle and take your time with that stuff when it goes on. So we've yeah. seen it again and again and again and again. Yeah. Again. I mean, the me too movement was happening at this point. Right. I remember I was, yeah. I, cause I was oh, gut wrenched in my stomach, you know, cause it's like in the media, right. This is right when me too was getting loud. So there's all these people sort of being called out and, uh, canceled in their work lives sort of their community social work yeah. lives and i'm just sitting there and i'm like what the fuck is wrong with zen <laughs> like because right like there's so many stories in zen and spirituality and then you know the next the next thought was like oh no this 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 is men <laughs> this is men like this is our inheritance like we something doesn't work mm-hmm and like maybe if women were in charge and had power, it would look differently. Like there's this wonderful book called Power about women gaining the power to electrocute people. So mm. they're in charge of the culture at some point. And they're like, they're pretty horrible too <laughs> in their own ways. But like right now, like we just, I don't know. Do you feel like this sort of inheritance as a man of like the history of actions that we've done and the ways we've impacted community and individual lives and the like for you is that a part of you or something you wrestle with like how do you hold kind of the legacy mm. i mean um i don't feel that inheritance so much i think yeah um but it's troubling certainly when you know that so many women you know have been touched by this yeah um so i'm troubled on that sense for for women that i know and I, and the women leaders who I know haven't had this issue. No, it doesn't seem to show up in the same way like that. 
Yeah. And I'm sure there's been, but they haven't had this issue. Yeah. Male leaders have had this issue. It's with power. I think it's with power and women when leaders have had issues with power before, but it hasn't been expressed in this way. Yeah. It's, it's so repetitive and recurring. Um, so I have to, my last little healing moment was that a year later, I met up with a female Zen teacher from the same tradition in Finland, mm-hmm. Aaron Terzano. And uh, I went on a retreat there and it was my first retreat since this whole thing had happened. So I was really uh, fragile in some ways, I think. Yeah, yeah like... I'm going to go into a retreat, but like, whew, like yeah, this could turn me off forever or like doing an interview or not. I'm just going yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'll kind of bring it back full circle in a second, but the Finnish people have just been given Zen in the last decade, basically. Oh, it's all fresh and young they're, sprouts. Oh, they're young. They're beautiful and they're <laughs> full of energy. Yeah. It's like, it's the, I don't know if it's the 1890s or the 1950s all over again in America, but in yeah. Finland. And seeing that energy of people who are just so excited to be together. They're also yeah. our age. Thank yeah, yeah. Which is like rare, right? Like I'm still, every Zen center I've been, I've been young from yeah. 18 to 35. I'm like, I'm still fucking, I'm not the youngest anymore, but like I'm young. Yeah. <laughs> and to see that vitality was just so beautiful. It was this fusion I'd been waiting for of yeah. the church, the brethren with the meditation practice. Oh, you see it happening outside of our, in a different culture in a way. Yeah, they're excited. They hang out. They sauna beforehand before the Ooh, retreat. They're like integrating their their culture traditions. And then afterwards, you can stay at the retreat house for a day or two and just be with your friends. Oh. And that was amazing. So I stay there, and uh, they decided because there's so many people at this retreat that everyone does interview. And you just go in order. Oh, they just do the, sorry, my mic's all spinning around. Um, they, yeah, they just get at your slot. Yeah. Yeah. And I was terrified because oh. my one rule was I'm not doing interview. Yeah, yeah. And I have to go to interview. And it's with Karen, it's with a woman, which made me slightly safer. And I asked her, I told her my story a little bit and then said, hey, just so you know, you know, I'm from your sister's Zen Center that doesn't exist anymore in Portland. And I'm kind of recovering from that. And she didn't really know anything about it. And I said, um, you know, feel free to uh, ask Barry, who was her teacher and is the teacher of New York. Mm-hmm. So it was funny. Like, please talk to Barry. Of course, you know, she's on a retreat and I'm leaving early the next day. Yeah, she's not going to get an email response. By- yeah. And I go, I leave. And as I'm leaving, they're driving me to the train station. I had a really great time there. It's really special people. She comes out from the retreat to say goodbye to me. And there were, I don't know, maybe 40 people there. It was really an honor. And she had written Barry that night. Yeah. And she had gotten a response. And, um, you know, she sort of, she acknowledged what a sad thing it was. Yeah. She gave me a hug. And it was really um, something I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're bringing up for me as you talk, like, um... The real sense of loss of family, mm. you know, like uh, like spiritual family, like because we still connect, but like there's many people who I felt incredibly close to that that connection happened because like the nexus of the space that like we would see each other and we'd go get coffee or we'd talk, but I wouldn't, I don't have their phone numbers or anything, I, you know, 
but there was all these people that I felt close to and some like incredibly close to and those like relationships faded. Um, and I think sometimes like our individualism like negates like how vital our community connections are. And like for me, I was so upset with Larry for years. I think I'm still am in some ways, but like just not feel like he acknowledged that. That like it wasn't just us between you. Like we had relationships with each other. And like those were like really fucking important. Mm. And like, I don't know, there's something there for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like the the loss that's there. And like I've been sitting with this because like we're in COVID right now and stuff, right? There's this phrase I really love. I think it's I'm gonna butcher it, but it comes from I think like a South American indigenous community, their definition of love is like hurts when it's gone. Mm. Like, you know, you only notice it when it's gone, how much it mattered. And like, there was so much from that community space that like, I didn't know how much it mattered until it was gone. And like for the gone to not like, it was going to be my choice, right? I was going to leave. So I would feel some of that. And like, we all leave at some point, but like for it to happen from like an, uh, an ethical breach, you know, that deserved, that deserved, he deserved to end in my view based on what transpired later. Like people can look it up and find out, you know, what actually happened. But yeah. So yeah, I haven't felt that in a while. Thank you. (laughs) And I feel, um, I still feel the pain talking about it. I still feel the pain, although it's certainly, you know, uh, softened. Yeah. And then I also can't even understand the pain of the women who have yeah. had issues with Larry that were really troubling yeah. and yeah. issues with people who are their, their helpers in general. Um, just yeah. movement is just so, so hard to fathom of how long it takes to recover from having that breach. So yeah. Directly Cause it's so clear that, I mean, women, experience like a continual bombardment at times and like maybe to think there's a safe space and then like and then then it's it's like not or it's like feel like you're confused like wait what's happening here i I just can't imagine in those shoes like yeah feeling like uh like oh it's happening here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah i feel like there's something i'm trying to get to and i can't find it um Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's something like in my heart that wants to be said, but it's not. It's not bubbling up. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, what what do we learn from this experience? We've actually been through this. <sighs> well, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, right? Because you came by the other day when you were in town, and we got to hang out for a moment, which is always so good to get some Seth time in. Um, and I like I've been relating to my shame. Like I don't like to talk about this that like my, some of my formative Zen years were with a sort of a a teacher that, um, I don't know, what would you say? Like a teacher that didn't live up to the teaching? Mm -hmm. I don't know, that doesn't feel right, but like the, that abused his role to such a degree that it calls into question the total character. And like, from it's fundamental for me, it calls into question lineage, really. Yeah, say more lineage. 
where someone um, you study with with someone you really trust and eventually they trust you so much that one person trusts you so much that you can be a leader. Yeah. This, big, this big capital L leader, you can lead your flock and then continue this path that actually goes all the way back to the Buddha. You can, you know, Larry can follow his lineage and it goes all the way back to the Buddha. And yeah. we think that has great meaning because these people who are given it continue to teach they're given the right to teach and lead a group yeah it, it brings up to me that like notion of vertical and horizontal that there's such a vertic verticality within zen and some spiritual traditions right like oh i'm a i'm an authorized teacher and then i authorize you and it's like me like i give to you but like and i think this probably happens in a lot of communities right but like how much does a community input yeah like you know does the community have a say in who who deserves because sometimes there's like special relationship right or people can yeah groove in with someone right and if you don't click with someone then you don't get to <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i think why do you have to lead by being this person i think yeah. there's natural leaders and that's totally fine we need leaders but why do you have to why why use this form where you get told you can lead in this way or if you become then a, a teacher, why do you have to? Why do you have to then immediately have a group? Can you not have a group? Yeah. Are there other ways around it? So I hope that it just opens up doors for discussion in this because there's been plenty of people who've been told to lead that should not have led. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting sort of like thing you're saying here, right? Like, what what in you needs to lead? Yeah. And like, and like, how do you hold that, right? Like, does someone have to go through? I think of, I forget his name. I always want to know his name, but like he was at the world religions fair in the early 19, 1890s or whatever. And he's like, I want to stay. And his teacher, yeah. he's like Japanese dude. And his teacher was like, that's fine, but you can't mention Zen for 10 or 20 years. I forget <laughs> what it was. I think it was 10 years. It might've been 20. Like you can't mention it all. You just have to live here. And he's like, all right. And then 10 years in, he starts like a little sort of community Zendo in his, uh. in his like attic or whatever or something, nice. you know, it was like the first Zen center that we don't really know about. But uh, wow. But like that was his way, right? Of like working through what in you wants to do this. Yeah. Like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, power is so sneaky and um, fulfilling our ambitions and our purposes and our calling of like feeling successful is so sneaky and so um, dear to why we live uh, that I think you really have to take, it's, it's important to take a lot of time to see if it's really helpful for you yeah, to be this quote unquote leader, if what's the form that it's going to take. Um, because so many people get distracted by this role, this influential role that they have, and there's still a lot of work left for them to do on things they haven't acknowledged in their own life, perhaps because it's shameful or perhaps because they don't have time for it because they're helping other people with their issues. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, that, that's, that's sort of my takeaway, I guess. Yeah, yeah. How can we do this in a community setting? How can we facilitate and gather people without having to feel like we're in charge? Yeah. 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 yeah what's it going to look like in the future? Mm. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about like fantasizing romantically about old, what I imagine like more community structures where communities were intact. And that like there's a spiritual role of some sort, whatever that's a healer, some holder of that. 
and they weren't in charge of the community. They were like a part. They were like one part, and then there was these other parts, right? They were just like, you know, like like we, I feel like we need to get back there. Like, but then you get these communities emerging. People live there, and they they give all the retirement savings to them, and they like devote themselves. And like the spiritual leader is in charge of the whole community. It's like, no, you should be a part of a community. Mm. Like you're because like this isn't the whole life. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that was just. Is that one of your visions? Um. Mm, I don't know. My, I'm giving up my visions right now. COVID has made my visions feel complicated. <laughs> I'm trying to reset. <laughs> yeah. But I think about it. Like, what would it be like to have a community that had a spiritual component to it? Yeah. But it, and it, it wasn't the whole voice. Yeah. Either that, that's another thing I've thought about a lot is that wisdom is one aspect of the pie. Mm-hmm. Like being a Buddhist teacher. It's one aspect, but people are good with money. That's another aspect. You know, others are really good athletes. You know, some people have interpersonal skills and we elevate those with the wisdom in the Zen community to think that it's the whole pie. Yeah. And then they are then can address all these other issues when really it's maybe not the whole pie. Maybe not the whole pie. Um, yeah, as we wind down here, can, can you play some music, right? You want me to play a song? I was going to maybe pull one of your songs in at the end, or you yeah. can play a song. Do you think the audio would work for that? I, I, let's do yours. Cause then we'll have, you know. Yeah. So, so you moved to Joseph, right? One thread was like, I'm going to meditate and be some John Muir in the woods a little bit. Sorry if that's a mischaracterization. I'm all about it. Emerson, maybe more Emerson than Muir, but uh, Thoreau, thank you. You're Thoreau in the woods, right? But not really. Cause you got a community right there and you got houses all around you. <laughs> And I can't build anything. <laughs> but you also came for your music, right? Yeah, I wanted space to, I wanted space. I wanted space to sit and I wanted space to play and compose. Yeah. What have you found in the space? Um, I found natural time. Yeah. I found um, a trusting trusting creativity to come when it wants to come. And if I was too busy, I'd have to give it a time slot for it to come. And you can't really guarantee that spark if it's going to come when I want it to be there. But if you have it, you wanted to, you wanted to be ready to capture the fireflies. Yeah. Like when they were there, you wanted to have the space to bring life to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. have, Have the space to have experiences that feel really organic and that will inspire more dragonflies to come out. Yeah, yeah. Which dragonfly you wanna want us to play? Uh, do you have a do you have a preference? No, no. I need you to. What do you want people to hear? Um, um. Why don't you play the lemur song? The lemur song. You have okay. that one? I do. Uh, can, you can send me a file later too. But like, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. It's got live lemurs on it. Yeah, yeah. And do you I'm want to going, speak any to this one? What's the lemur song for you? Oh uh, well, this is uh, this is um, lemurs are playfulness and peace, and they're also diversity. Uh, I've had a dream of going to Madagascar, a really amazing place for a long time in my life, um, and I've been, just been given this peace fellowship where I can travel to Uganda and have sort of free form over the next two years to go to different countries in Africa to gather their peace traditions. Whether to lead me to Madagascar or not, I don't know. But um, it's as close as I've gotten so far. <laughs> Celebrating that. So in the midst of that, um, 
you know, you don't have to play the whole piece, but there's seven minutes in the first minute and the last. I'll minute. play the whole thing. I mean, we just did like yeah. an hour and a half. People okay, can fucking good. listen for seven more minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're still here. <laughs> These are injury lemurs. They're really, really amazing. They sound like whales. That's why I love them so much. Yeah. Any last words? Like now that there's a screen on you and you got a microphone and this will be announced to whoever fucking clicks on it on the internet. Like anything you want to say to the. I just want to thank you, Brandon, for, for bringing space to this conversation. Because yeah. every now and then, every like six months, I Google Zen Center Portland or Larry Christensen to find out if anybody knows about this. Yeah, I woke up the other day. He's, he has like a lawsuit. He's been sued for a couple million that. right now. And I just, someone sent me that. I'm like, don't. Oh. Can yeah. you wait till 5 p.m. to send me these? I don't want to start my morning with this. But it's important for people to know what happens within their, particularly if we have Zen Buddhist listening or people interested in the Zen community, what's going on, gone on recently, yeah. you know, in the Portland region. Um, because this just happened and it was, had a really profound impact on a lot of people. And mm -hmm. I want to know how we can learn from it. Yeah. And for me, right, there's this like paradox that I, don't know how to hold but it seems true like a that like i'm incredibly grateful for what happened within my own like healing life like it was a real there's this uh analogy from gregory bateson who's this like kind of influential thinker that did like cyber cyber uh, cybernetics and stuff like that um but it's like a, a beaker of water right you can't predict where it's gonna boil unless there's an imperfection or like dirt on the beaker, like mm -hmm. that, that boiling point needs somewhere to start. Mm -hmm. And for me, like I've had a lot of those boiling points in my life that have helped me to heal and grow, but this one was tremendous. Yeah. It was like a real boiling point and I'm like incredibly grateful for that. And I think what happened was atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like how to hold those two together. Mm-hmm. And like, where, where is accountability and where is, cause he would hold sittings after all this happened. You know yeah. what I mean? And I, I was like, do I need to like ask all the Zen teachers in the area to tell him to stop? Cause he even wrote a letter to like another Zen teacher telling him to stop at some point. So I was like, I think you need a letter, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, strong. So th that paradox is like something I sit yeah. with. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, my friend. Well, thank you so much for doing this. We did this like a, a year and a half or a couple of years ago, one of these, and uh, clearly wasn't the right time. So I'm really happy that you're the first one I'll be putting down on the internet. Um, I love you dearly. Love thank you, you too. Yeah, I love you too, friend. Thank you for being with us. Um, I'm going to stop recording now. Right? <laughs>
Thank you, Seth, for making that song for us to listen to. I also want to thank you, Seth, for making space in our conversation for how our teachers' sexual, sexual misconduct impacted so many women in our community. I felt in the dialogue Seth and I had that I wasn't really able to join him and holding space for how devastating sexual violence can be within a spiritual community for those that it's perpetrated on and also those that have to relive the traumas that they've been through. So I just want to make some space right now for all the women that have had to go through this. I am sorry. I hope we can find a way to really move past predatory sexual student-teacher relationships. Enough is enough. Okay. Thank you. I hope you're well. Bye.